everyone. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Catherine Druckman, and we're talking to Doc Searles. And, hey. and Kyle Rankin is joining us again. Thank you so hey much, Kyle. Kyle is the Chief Security Officer for Purism. If you don't know about Purism, you should definitely look them up. They have some really cool privacy-respecting products, hardware and software. Um, but today, what we're talking about is the Ring Video Doorbell and Amazon's program to share information with various police departments. Amazon, Amazon acquired a company that has Ooh. a product that, that basically has, lets you put a webcam on your door as, a, as an electronic doorbell. Yeah. Um, so if someone rings your electronic doorbell, you can, at your computer or your phone or wherever you are, you can see someone's at your doorstep. Um, and so it's like a whole, I, I, had, I worked at a startup that ended up using, that put one in on the outside of their door instead of drilling a, a, an actual peephole. Uh, yeah. Maybe they did drill people. But anyway, yeah, the idea is you can do that. And then when someone pushes the button, it'll ring you on your phone, wherever you happen to be, even if you're yeah. not in the office. So that's the product. And Amazon acquired them at some point. I um, mean, it's an Amazon product. But what's happened is because it's so ubiquitous now, and so many people have had them, there's this extra program. I don't even know all the details of the program. But where you can opt in to allowing law enforcement access to your ring device almost like a neighborhood watch kind of thing so um because you have all of these security cameras that are networked that are all pointing out toward the world um if the police see that there's been a crime in your area you can opt yeah. in to allowing them to see your footage from well, a particular time of crime they can just yeah. ask for it whether you've opted in or not and as long as it's stored and amazon has it stored they'll just ask yeah, they can get it directly from Amazon. So, the, the, like, step one is to ask you, hey, could you give me this footage? Step two, like, via the app. The app can say, hey, would you like yeah. to share this footage? Step two is from the knock on your door and ask you to share the footage. And then step three, another alternative is just to go straight to Amazon and say, give me the footage. Yeah, but there's there's more to it than that. There's also, yeah. there's just, it, it's creating, they've given police departments scripts to to encourage opt-in fostering it's, it's creating and fostering a culture of surveillance for profit you know there there have been there have been several things in the news lately um articles all over in fact there was one in forbes not too long ago where i remember the the author very astutely pointed out that oh wow finally somebody's figured out a way to monetize policing and, and it's kind of a disturbing, disturbing thought, right? Um, so in the interest of full disclosure, I thought I should get out of the way. I actually have a ring for now. Yeah. <laughs> I have one and it, because it served a purpose at, at the time. We were missing packages a lot. You know, our, the way my house is set up, it's really awkward. You know, if we get a delivery, we used to order wine, you know, and it's not something that you want stolen or to sit out too long so it you know, boils or something and um it made it easier to you know to know when somebody was trying to deliver something because you know you have this great little wi-fi gadget and when somebody rings your doorbell you you're alerted and you can talk to them and there's video and it's great but you know today they they have this uh, as kyle was saying earlier this neighborhood watch feature and 
it allows it's it's sort of a, a little social network within within the ring system i suppose because what it does is it allows people within a certain radius of you um to see each other's to share each other's videos they're like hey i you know i saw this suspicious activity outside my house or yeah um what I see a lot is, uh, I mean, so a lot of it's legitimately crime. You literally see package thieves, you see um, attempted break-ins, actual break-ins. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if y'all are involved in, in, in any next door groups or any like, neighborhood Facebook groups, but they are notoriously just a platform in my opinion for racial profiling it's like a, someone with a skin color other than mine walked by my my house and i'm freaked out about it yeah yeah i'm, I'm yeah i'm not a part of a, of a group along those lines but yeah i mean that's it, it's weird because there's there's certainly value even traditionally to neighborhood watch programs especially in an area where you get high crime for the neighbors to band together and help each other out but then it also lends itself to a lot of busybodies yes, <laughs> and exactly yeah um it, it can it can bring out some of some some of people's worst nature basically you know it, it brings up an interesting question Know, what's what's a public space and what's a private space? Exactly. I think, and we've had some of these discussions, and especially in the UK, where there's now pretty much the assumption by everybody that not only is there constant um, uh, monitoring, I think they could think of a closed circuit. That's what they used to call it anyway. But but they're there's always the, the the law enforcement folks are always looking at what's happening in the public space, what's going on in the street, what's going on in front of buildings, what's going on pretty much outside in parks and other places. Um, and that that's okay. I mean, that's pretty much where it's gone there, but it's not okay inside your house. You don't want the police looking inside your house, but what about your front door? Right? I mean, if, is somebody walking up to your door that is that do you want you know am i in other words i might be comfortable walking down the street knowing that that there are surveillance cameras out there looking at people on the street but if i walk to somebody's front door i'm kind of feel like i'm moving into a private space right i don't want a recording of that <laughs> you know whereas i may not mind a recording of me getting on a bus or or me, you know, just looking in a store window. But there's something about what, and, and also that it's a store. I don't mind a store knowing that, that people are walking in and out or paying attention to the people who are there. But for a private residence, it's a different thing. Um, and I think we're gradually going to work out, you know, what, what is okay and what's not okay. What, is, what should be blurred and what should not be blurred. Um, and, and I don't know if we have a clear answer for that yet, because it's still another example of that rule that says what in technology, what can be done, will be done until we find out what's wrong with it. So, uh, so that's the point. That. Are we going to work it out? <laughs> that, that's I, I, I think it's going to take a while. I, I think it's going to take a long time. I mean, we're, I mean, part of the long calls I was on earlier today, um, we're about this whole thing that's going down at MIT. Um, 
That must have been you know, a fun call. Well, <laughs> it is. I mean, it, it, it was a call uh, within the, the Berkman Center. Um, it's, it was a Chatham house kind of thing. I can't really say it was set on it. But I, I can, in a general way, say it was about the ethics of the whole thing and the, the, the ethics around fundraising and the and ethics around, um, around the way that large old institutions like that one, like Harvard and MIT, work. Um, uh, because while well, on the one hand we're we're looking forward into a world that's all that's full of digital, where pretty much everything is possible, we're also looking back in time at institutions that were formed hundreds of years ago. I mean, the modern university is a medieval thing. It it it's it's very old, and it's very patriarchal. I mean, extremely patriarchal. Um, and uh, one of the things that Joyce, that's my wife, for people who don't know, um, said even before this thing at MIT went down is that the patriarchy is coming down right now in real time, live. Here is it. Watch it happen. <laughs> you know, that's what's going on. And, but this, I'm not sure it relates to this particular, to, to, the, to the ring video doorbell or not, except to the, in, the, in the sense that we, we're puzzling through what the ethics are of things. You know, what, I mean, and a, a big part of what's going on with, with, the, with the academy in a general sense, uh, with higher education, is that, um, it, is that it's, it's real. I mean, I would say probably the majority of people who spoke were women in all the conversations that I'm having, in part because a lot of the guys right now are saying, you know what, I got nothing to say here. You know, Epstein was horrible, Joey Ito made a big mistake. These are the people who are involved in the MIT thing. Um, and, and maybe I, as a male, don't have something to say about this right now. Um, I'm going to let you guys take over, you know, meaning the women. And, and it, it raises a question for me, like with this doorbell thing, um, and, and maybe you should answer this, <laughs> Catherine. You know, do, do you want one of those? I mean, you, you got one, but I mean, do you want one for the surveillance purposes of it? Or is it just so you can have a convenience? I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in what the sort of, in a general way, female versus male way of looking at this might be. I mean, for me, I, I guess it's, it, it, it started as a, just a convenience thing. And just as an aside, I've had some technical difficulties with it, so I can't say that it's been as useful. <laughs> I don't know how much longer I will have this device or try to use this device because it loses connection all the time and frequently just doesn't work. Um, that could be user error, I freely admit. Um, anyway, but, but yeah, it's a convenience thing. But, but as somebody who cares about privacy, it's not so much the device. The de device does not have a moral code you know it's, it's so so but it's it's the things that are happening around the device that are more concerning and and i wondered if you know if kyle might want to weigh in but but it's the fact that amazon is soliciting police departments providing them with scripts uh, on how to convince people to turn over their recordings the fact that they don't really even need them to do that. They can go directly to Amazon and get anything stored in the cloud for up to X number of days. And it's, it's generally this corporate slash police culture of 
fear and surveillance and you know you need this device because otherwise you're in danger i think that's the, the greater concern and and um yeah and the problem is is that a lot of people like me might go into this with the, the convenience part of it but then quickly realize that this is something maybe we don't want to be a part of well in another concerning aspect of the collaboration between um, Amazon and the police department is that there's a sort of a quid pro quo relationship uh, where Amazon is sort of is helping local police departments to get access to the camera data in various ways um, by, you know, encouraging people to share it and writing, you know, having the applications make it easier to do that sort of thing. But the police departments are also, in return, sharing demographic and other data about the about those customers uh, back to Amazon that they wouldn't get in other ways that, that the police department has access to. And at this right now, I'm blanking on a couple of the articles that went that have come out have talked about that relationship and the right. specifics of which data the police department sharing. But that, to me, was what was almost even more troubling than some of the other aspects of this is that there's this sort of quid pro quo relationship where we will, we will help you, you know, police department, we will help you get access to all these cameras in return. We need more of this data that we don't get that we can't get other ways gobbled up um, about people. Uh, it, it's all of these with any of this technology. And we were talking about the ethics of it. A lot of it is it's very difficult for people to make these um, ethical decisions or even personal decisions, informed consent decisions about this technology because it's the impl you have to kind of put a sci-fi hat on in some cases to think mm -hmm. through all of the implications of that choice. So in this case, you know, any individual technology by itself often doesn't really have a, make a, a big impact. So, you know, like having the metadata about the phone calls that you make is pretty revealing, but people don't think about that um, uh, by itself, it's one thing, but when you combine that with the metadata about phone calls from everyone else in the world, and then you can, and if you had access to all of that, and then you could perform searches on all of that and start making correlations between different people, you start building all of these network graphs about who's friends with whom and everything else. Yeah. And the same thing goes with, with video surveillance, especially uh, most recently now the facial recognition as flawed as it is, it's getting to the point that it's at least, it has, you know, at least for some people, a decent um, level of accuracy. And that's one of the last avenues that all of the, you know, the social media companies often want is to get, is to be able to tag pictures with your face or get you to upload pictures of yourself so that they have enough um, of a representation of you that they can then later find you in photos that you didn't you know, choose to opt into or, or on everyone's or, ring cloud recording on everyone's <laughs> ring. Exactly. So think about the implications of, let's say that, you know, this is a somewhat ubiquitous technology and 60% of your neighborhood uses it, but because 60% of your neighborhood uses it, that gets pretty, pretty good coverage of the entire neighborhood. And in fact, there are coverage maps that um, law enforcement get access to behind the scenes that sort of that, that show them, where um, where all of the camera coverage is, so they can see which areas are fully covered by various ring cameras versus not. But so so imagine you combine that technology with with reasonably accurate facial recognition and shared databases of people's faces, 
And so then, even if you walk around with no phone in your pocket, no other tracking beacon or anything else, just by walking around society, you've now given Amazon and potentially local law enforcement uh, who have this turned on the ability to know everywhere you're going just by, because your face is out there. And, and there's no way to opt out. I mean, any, anyone on Facebook or, or Google Photos or, or you know, wherever can tag photos of you all day long without your consent. You could have never used the internet and you're, you're everywhere, <laughs> you know? And that, yeah, that's well, and the it, part that starts to be a little bit more and more trouble, troubling. Well, well the, the problem is just there's, everyone's using these different um, types of technology for a reason. You found use, there's a reason that you, you bought Ring and installed it and it solved a problem for you but the problem is basically almost every piece of technology out there these days it's like where's the other, when's the other shoe going to drop about it you know like i'm getting this i'm getting this particular thing but how is it going to exploit me it's almost the default assumption now that if i'm getting some sort of consumer device that in addition to whatever it's supposed to be doing for me it's also going to be doing all this other nefarious stuff behind the scenes that i didn't necessarily authorize or want but that's just sort of the cost of doing business. The cost of having convenience in any way apparently now means, you know, all of my data is gobbled up and I'm sharing it or it's, you know, it's going to do all of this stuff up until the point it's caught, you know? Exactly. And it's really hard to avoid. And, and there's no transparency. The average consumer does not open a box with a ring doorbell in it or with a mobile phone or any device and say, Hey, by the way, here's a quick bullet list of all of the things you're giving up right now. <laughs> And, and this, what's wrong with this is that all agency, all choice is on the other side. It's on the side of the homeowner with the, with the thing. It's on the side of the police department. It's on the side of every site that wants you to sign a consent form. This is absolutely unmanageable and completely broken. The only way we can fix it is from the individual side. It's the only way. And, and we've hardly begun to do that. And of course, if, I've written a lot of stuff about this, and it's really hard to enlist support for it. Um, uh, but it, 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 it is the only way. We need scale. We need scale for saying uh, what's okay and what's not okay. And um, what we've done with business, what we've done with um, pretty much everything, is given all of the choices, all of the all of the power to the, to you know. To, to the big guys in general, you know, whoever the big guys happen to be. I mean, and, and if you think about law enforcement for a minute, I mean, they're always going to want everything. That's what they don't want. If they could have everybody's DNA everywhere at all times, that would be wonderful. If they had surveillance cameras everywhere, that would be a good idea because that would help them, right? But it also, and this, this goes to what Shoshana Zuboff, who wrote the the age of surveillance capitalism uh, wrote way back in the eighties, which is that um, inevitably digital technology will lead to systems for su surveillance and control and leaving it up to the government, for example, to say, okay, you stop all this surveillance and control. Well, no, no, they have an interest in having it. That's, that's the problem with law enforcement. We need tech on our side tech that says, no, this, is, this isn't going to work. I'm walking around with a QR code that when you see it that says, no, no, you can't shoot my face. No, 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 you can't peer it. You can't stick tracking beacons on me for, for every, everywhere I go. You know, I mean, you know, we need, I mean, another call I was on earlier today is, is, was uh, an IEEE standards group that we're, we're working on 
um, a machine machine readable terms, machine readable terms that say, no, you can't track me. I mean, if we have those, you don't need a notice on the front of your website saying we're using cookies in order to give you a more personalized experience, you know, where we can have something that says, tell you what, you can, you can follow me around your site just like you follow me around your store. And you can give me something that says I've been here before. I, I welcome that. But nothing else. That's it. That's the end of it. We need a standard way to be able to say that kind of stuff. Um, in the meantime, the, all, all we could do is complain about how terrible shit is because we have no agency on our own. So we've talked about regulation a lot, actually, on the podcast in various contexts. Um, but is that maybe an answer here? So I, I, just a few days ago, a Democratic senator from, I believe, Massachusetts uh, started, you know, bringing, raising concerns with this specific uh, ring doorbell issue. Oh, is this uh, Elizabeth Warren? Or, no, or? no, Ed, Edward Markey. Oh, Marky. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, he wrote a letter to Jeff Bezos, basically saying, hey, you know, here, here, here are some concerns, but this is, this is all very recent. So, so wait, but it, the point being is that it, it, it raised a flag somewhere and someone, you know. Yeah, the, 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 the thing is, I'm just going to get back on my high horse here. Um, if we have a new law that let's see Markey writes a law that says uh, you can't do that in the absence of us having any way to stop it on our own. We're going to get something like the GDPR, which basically says you and I are nothing more than what they call data subjects and that all agency for data about us is in the hands of other parties. It's as if we have no native control of our data whatsoever no native control of our lives online. We are pinballs in the machine and it's up to the machine to treat us well, rather than we are the machine and all these sites are the pinballs in our lives. And I mean, what we need in the long run is a dance between ourselves and the institutions of the world, but we can't dance unless we have the shoes, unless we have hands. But as long as we have no way whatsoever other than to agree or not agree to terms that others proffer, we are just fucked, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's where we are right now until we have powers of our own. And, and that's up to the technologists of the world. You know, that's up to, you know, Kyle's crew. Kyle, I think it's Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, they're already doing it to some degree. I mean, probably Purism is probably the, the best company in the world for doing some of this stuff. But it's, you know, but it has to be normalized. So it's in every device that we have and not just in theirs. You know, how do we do that? I don't know. I mean, I've been, arguing this for for this for 20 some years but you know i mean generally people don't go into it because there's no money in it not yet anyway so well and be, beyond all of that hmm? go well, ahead, it, well and this is something that we run into it at purism a lot uh, just because of the it because of how we've structured the company to be a social purpose corporation and all of the ideals that we are we we've said that we will be beholden to it informs how we even design products in a different way uh, because we're focused so much on user freedom and user empowerment that the, there's, there's just norms that the industry has in particular for security. I, I've written a couple of articles on this in the past about how if you were to ask almost anybody in information security to build a product to protect a thing, whatever it is, 
um, they will more times than not create a solution that requires you to 100% trust their company as a vendor and do everything through their company as that vendor to yeah. be safe. You know, you have no individual right. agency or, or, you know, power of your own. You hand it all over to them. And then they're the custodians of your security. Yeah, it's horrible. You know, because, yeah, <laughs> and, and and because it's in the interest of that company to build such a such a solution. So as a result, you know, it, almost everyone in InfoSec has lost their sense of imagination for how to build a solution other than, well, we're going to sign everything with the key that comes from our, our company. And if it if it's signed with that key, you're allowed to do it. And if it's not signed with that key, you're not allowed to do it. Um, so just leave everything to us, basically, because you can't handle it. Um, and plenty of people are more than happy to turn over that power to a central authority, especially, you know, for either for their convenience or if they think that 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 company is going to use that power against their enemies, whoever those people happen to be, um, they're happy to do that. Uh, but what they don't tip, I mean, in, this is the same case to go back to the ring example, people who are allowing law enforcement to access the ring cameras are doing it specifically because they, you know, well, my enemy is the thief down the streets of stealing my Amazon packages. And so I'm more than happy to give the police this power because they're using it against someone I don't like um, without thinking about the fact that if you, whenever you grant, you know, give up some power to somebody else, you're fortunate if they happen to, you know, if, if they use that power for good, but for all of the, for all of the, police officers that do everything above board and are completely honest in all their dealings. There's some people who are corrupted by that power, just like there are companies that try to be above board. And there's others that the power that they're given corrupts them and they use it, you know, for example, having people at a social media company that use their admin powers to snoop on their ex-girlfriends or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, um, it goes all the way across the board, but yeah, it's the, the problem is because you would, you have to leave so much money on the table if you're not building a solution that locks people into your product, um, most companies won't do it. They can't, they're, they, they, yeah. you know, they have a fiduciary responsibility not to do stuff like that. They could even be sued in many cases for, for avoiding that. So. So how do you, so how do you as a hardware company, um, how, do, how do you change the narrative? I mean, I guess this is, I don't know if you can speak to this, but you know, when you, you have so much the market penetration, you know, from these devices that don't consider privacy whatsoever and people have come to accept that as the norm, how do you, how do you fix it? How do you insert yourself into the market and say, Hey, you know, the, here's an alternative and, and, and how much adoption, you know, do you have to achieve to, to really make a change? Or is this too big a question even? Well, I mean, just so many, it's funny because so many people just expect that you are operating with malicious intent mm -hmm. as a company. Um, that when, you know, for example, we have, when I was working on uh, what we're now calling pure boot, a way to find tampering in, in boot firmware. Um, the traditional approaches to solve that problem require you to get a vendor to sign whatever code you executed boot and they have to bless anything that you run. Um, and the same thing goes now if you have a phone, you know, when people talk about rooting your phone, what they're saying is the vendors of that phone um, signed and locked the firmware and all of the code that, it ex that your phone executes so that they have to bless any subsequent 
you know, code that you would want to run on, on your device that you own, right? And so what we were faced with, we want to protect boot security, but we don't like that approach because it just falls counter to everything we stand for. It requires us to, you know, come up with a, with a completely different solution. Fortunately, Tramble Hudson invented Head, which is this technology that puts the power back in the user's hands for this because what it requires us to basically take a different look at what the problem is we're trying to solve. So instead of saying, well, we want to stop any code that, that we as a vendor didn't bless from being executed. Instead, we said, well, what does the user want? The user wants to know is, has my computer been tampered with or not really? Um, and so instead, can we find a solution that allows them to answer that question without it all hinging on us as a company where you have to wholly trust purism for everything. Um, and heads as a solution did that it, what it did was it said, okay, well, we're doing similar things as far as using cryptographic keys to verify things. But the difference is the software, the keys come from the user, not from the company, not from the yeah. vendor. And they can be changed at any time. It puts it back because there's this patronizing view of users that's been going on for decades where the user's so dumb and they, you know, they can't use computers, et cetera. We have to save them from their self, themselves. I mean, if you have sat in any IT or InfoSec circles over the years, you're continually exposed to how stupid and, and, and they think users are, and they often will refer to them and treat them like children when it's not the case. I mean, you know, you can make an argument 20 years ago that when the work, when computers were first entering the workforce in a major way, that you had people who had never been exposed to a computer before who had to use one for the first time to do their job. But now everyone that's entering the workforce has been using a computer since the day they were born almost. You know, they, kids have been handed a phone <laughs> to use or at least have been using it since they were a child of some age. And so they're in, entering the workforce really well versed in how to use the computer and better, you know, better able to use the computer these days than they were 20 years ago. Yet the kind of freedom and autonomy a user has today, especially in a workplace, but even on their personal computer compared to 20 years ago is far reduced. You have way less power and authority over your own data and how yeah. you're allowed to use the computer these days, even though you're way, you know, you're way more knowledgeable on how to do it. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm not sure there's a, uh, a short-term fix for that. I'm not even sure there's a long-term fix. Uh, I think this is sort of a general pickle that we're in the middle of um, uh, and, and may take a very long time to sort out. It's kind of like, you know, we live in the age of monarchy, and can you imagine democracy? And, or in a feudal age, and can you imagine, you know, um, a modern state coming out of a, 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 a feudal medieval uh, f f you know, forms of government. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm the, the longer I'm on earth, the longer a, a, a view I take on this stuff. Uh, it's, it's clear to me there aren't simple answers. I, I think, I mean, one of the things that disturbs me, and I know it does you guys too, that, uh, and I don't see a solution to that either, is that, you know, we've had the, we've had free software since the early 80s. We've had open source as a, uh, a topic at least um, and as a development method since the late 90s and and yet and and it and both have given the world a sum of wealth and a sum of all kinds of success that just boggles the mind I mean or ought to boggle the mind if it weren't so ordinary and you know and, and yet you know companies all of them are still looking for how do we lock things down we could, because it's so much much easier to imagine locking things down, and it's so much easier to manage imagine 
the ways we make money be, you know, with something than how we make money because of something. Uh, and, but because of just has so much more leverage, you know, the, the, the internet itself. I mean, I'm involved in another discussion over here where about developing exactly the kind of tools we're talking about. Ones that are going to empower individuals and, and, and we have a bunch of people saying, well, you need this. We can't just have technologists in a room. We need, we need, you know, interdisciplinary things. We need uh, ethical people and we need, you know, we need the education people. We need the government. We need all these other parties in here. When, if you look at say, you know, the web was given to us, not by, not by anything interdisciplinary at all. It was given to us by high, high, energy, high energy physicists at CERN and Slack and other places like that that wanted to share documents. They were pure techies, you know, and I mean, and, and that's, I mean, here's another, here's an interesting thought. I, and it's one that came up during a walk that I had with Joyce yesterday. Uh, whether the people who, we wondered whether or not, wondered out loud, and I say this with like infinite respect for uh, my friend Vince Cerf, you know, who was give, credited with being the father of the net, and Tim Berners-Lee, who I don't know as well, but I like a lot. Um, and even Linus, I, I, don't, I don't know if any of these guys really fully sense what a gigantic thing they did in the world and what the transcendent properties of that are that had leverage for everybody. You know, in Linus's case, it's like, I work in kernel space. I don't go to user space. I don't want to talk about user space. But what happened in user space is that, you know, Linux isn't every damn thing there is, and, which is amazing. And, and yet, um, you almost need those guys to be mindless of what the long-term widespread effects of what they're doing are. And yet, what we need here right now is tech that does give us that, those long-term widespread effects. And and I and I really don't know, you know how to how to make it happen. And, and unless I you know I can't code myself. I'm not no, the only code I know is Morse. And I'm not good <laughs> for that. Yeah, but but if there was, for example, I would I would start a business based on Picos. And and we've we've gone over this I think before in the podcast and certainly in Linux Journal, um, which thankfully is still online as an archive anyway. Uh, in several places, apparently. In several, many places. A lot of people have just <laughs> duplicated it elsewhere, which is wonderful. But the, you know, Picos are ways that the Internet of Things can, all the things that are yours can have an identity that is completely useful and open source and, and works fine with anything else um, and doesn't belong to anybody uh, and will do a, all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, I can, I can take everything I own and say, this stuff's mine, and I can let the companies who made it, uh, know some stuff about it. I have a conduit where they can give me updates and I can tell them stuff about usage on a completely permitted way going both directions. We can, can completely bring order to the Internet of Things and make it a true Internet of Things. And yet, you know, right now the code's sitting at uh, Brigham Young University with a bunch of students and people and I don't see any ambition behind making something happen with it. It's, it's kind of like... Um, there used to be a, a, a comedy group in New York uh, named Bob and Ray, Bob and Ray. They were very funny guys on the radio and, and very deadpan. And they played all these, they had all these skits where both these guys had deep AM radio voices, but they played the female parts and so forth. <laughs> Always, you know, they all, they all sounded like Leslie Nielsen does in, uh, in his spy, his spy spoofs, you know, with a deep sonorous voice. And, uh, 
they have a guy in the street who's selling cranberries and customers come up to him and say, what, what, what are these for? And the guy says, I don't know. And then the customers will say things like, well, maybe you could put them on strings and hang them on your Christmas tree. And the seller says, oh, yeah, that's okay. It's a good idea. And another one says, well, maybe you could smash them up and add some pectin and do these things to it to make a uh, cranberry sauce. Can you do that? And the guy says, yeah, I guess you could do that. <laughs> he has no idea really what could be done with it. And I sort of feel like that's, there is code in the world like that laying around that we're not using yet. So that's just another rant. Fair enough. Well, I think, I think we've, uh, well, I, I don't think we've uh, solved the problems of the world yet, but at least we've brought them to light, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to tie it back to this ring thing, there's so many devices like that that I would love to own and have in my home, but I don't because of the, I know that I'm not in charge of it. Yeah. yeah. I, for example, I would love to have a voice assistant that would make it easy for me to play music or do whatever without me having to, you know, all of like a voice activated computer. There's a lot of convenience to that. However, to this point, I don't have one because I'm not comfortable with the idea of a, a microphone on all the time that's not under my control uh, doing that right. stuff, right? But it would, it would be, there's so many areas in my own life, even as someone who's heavily into technology, where I, deprive myself of certain technical things because I, I can't trust, because I know it's not under my control. Um, but it would be so great that, that to have the ability without having to give up the control, it would be so great to, you know, have a, a, um, something like a ring device, except where I know I'm only, I control the stream. It's going to something, a server that I um, own or whatever, where I don't have to, I know I'm not sharing it with a third party. Um, and it can go wherever it goes, but I don't, you know, for the most part, I don't have that option. I mean, ar arguably, you know, I could set up one of these many, you know, free software projects where I'm building it out of an Arduino or who knows what I'm sure you can do that sort of thing. But there's, you know, if, if every single, every single, you know, device in your house is, is made of a home project raspberry Pi, at some point you run out of time to set everything up. So there's a convenience factor, but it's just a shame that basically all of the, that I have to make the choice between having technology or not, or I guess hacking something kind of together from scratch over many, many long weekends uh, to have this. Well, I think you know what the answer is though. I think purism is going to have to grow to a point where you make uh, smart speakers and <laughs> cameras. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, mean I think that's where it goes yeah. too. I, I mean, you guys are the ones I think more than anybody else right now. I'm sure there are others that might listen and say, no, we do that too. Well, if, if there are, please let us know. You have to have that mentality. Sounds like a great... You do. Yeah, you have, you have to think, well, one, you have to respect the customer and you want, you know, you have to, you have to want them to have power over their own stuff. Um, you know, you have to value them as an individual who wants their own freedom. Even in many cases, you know, we have plenty of customers that are more than happy to give us control and we say no 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 it's, it's still yours <laughs> um you hold on to it it's just because you know i think and this happened in this happened in the free software world you know we were talking we talked about this um uh, back at uh free node live uh when we were when we were discussing the, the fact that the free software world changed because we have a generation that came up in a world where free software was everywhere yeah. and no one was really using proprietary software in a way that restricted them in any way 
And so it was just a given that, that everything was fine and companies were fine and they would never abuse their, their, you know, any monopolies they had to do anything bad to me because, you know, people had grown up not to have experienced that. Um, and the same goes with all of these, this other tech is you have, you know, if you have someone who grew up with, you know, loving parents who looked out over everything that they did and made sure that they've never experienced harm in life or intervened on their behalf to shield them from harm. Um, and now they're in the workforce and in the world, you know, that, naturally they will be very trusting of strong central authorities because the, the first example of, the, of a strong central authority was trustworthy. You know, right. they, they can't necessarily conceive of how um, power in the hands of a central authority could be misused because it hasn't been misused for them yet. But like we're seeing with the privacy debate today, all of these issues have been going on for decades. Um, it's just that now finally people um, who are being affected by this are starting to see how it's affecting them personally to have this data out there. Um, and all of this stuff is coming to light now, not necessarily because people didn't care before, but because they didn't see how it affected them. And they were just naturally trusting of that. Well, of course this company would, you know, wouldn't do anything bad, but now everyone's starting to question that again, because we're through that cycle again, where companies are misusing the power that they've been given. On that note, <laughs> and then, uh, on those notes, Here's to a more hopeful future, I suppose. Um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of maybe it's consumer demand. Maybe it's a combination of factors. Maybe, you know, if we do 100 more podcasts, we'll get an answer. <laughs> uh, thanks, y'all. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah, that was for pretty me great. On. Yeah, um, let's, let's do it again and often. Anytime. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, if you're out there and you're making privacy respecting products, please let us know. The more, the merrier, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And privacy enabling, and it's really it's enabling. Enabling, yeah, empowering. Empowering. I like it. <laughs>